Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now, let's go to this week's message. Good morning, Father's House. I'm Pastor Tim, and again, I am so honored to be your freedom and care pastor this morning. And I do have a word for you this morning, and I'd like to start and just ask God that he would just speak through me today and speak into you the life that you need today. So Heavenly Father, God, today you know exactly what words need to come out of my mouth, Father. So I ask that you would guard my thoughts, my words. Let me speak your words, Holy Spirit. Let me speak your words of encouragement, Father, and let these words be life-changing through the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So today we're going to wrap up this great, great series that we've done for such a time as this as we look at the last three chapters of Esther. So get out your Bibles, um, turn to Esther 5. We're going to go through the last three chapters. And what we're going to do today is we're just going to kind of read through them and we're going to see what God would say. But I want to start with this. See, over the years, you know, there have been many inventions that are now a part of everyday life where not only was honor delayed, but the inventor was ridiculed. Let me give you a few examples. In 1902, the New York Times called the automobile impractical. <laughs> In 1927, the New York Times reported on nail polish as a London fad. As late as March 31st, the Atlanta Daily World and that was um, 1932, questioned how, how long colored fingernails could possibly stick around, calling nail polish dame fashion, whimsical, and wayward as the wind. <laughs> I don't know about you, but a little nail polish looks good on my wife. I, I, I like that. In 1928, Joseph Schneck, the president of the United Artists, seemed confident about one thing. Talking pictures were a fad. He told, again, the New York Times, talking doesn't belong in pictures. <laughs> Most sources credit Lionel Steenberger with inventing the cheeseburger in 1934. Thank you, Lionel. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lionel. <laughs> but the first time the New York Times wrote about cheeseburgers in 1938, they ranked cheeseburgers as a California eccentricity. In 1973, in a story about the burgeoning voicemail phenomenon of the answering machine, AT&T said, there's no need for this device. It even took until 1991 for the New York Times to reluctantly accept answering machines with a telling headline, for yuppies and now plain folk too. How many of you could not do without that answering service on your phone? And last one, and again, I'm sorry, New York Times, but that's what it came up with when the research happened. In 1985, the New York Times reported on the tragic demise of a once promising trend, laptops. <laughs> the newspaper said they were on their way out. On the whole, people don't want to lug a computer with them to the beach or on a train to while away hours they would rather spend reading the sports or the business section of the newspaper. Somehow the microcomputer industry has assumed that everyone would love to have a keyboard grafted on to the, as an extension of their fingers, and it is just not so. Well, 
I think the time has happened where some of this is sometimes grafted onto our fingers, especially if you've got a teenage girl in the house, that phone is grafted on, and a 26-year-old too. Tatiana, I know I'm talking to you. <laughs> so, you know, most of us live in a I want what I think I deserve and I want it now world. We don't want to wait for anything to be bestowed upon us. We want, I've done something great, or I think I've done something great. Give me what I deserve right now. And we live like that without realizing that immediate gratification is fleeting, but, and our one point for the day, so write this down, is this. Honor delayed is often honor magnified. Let me say that again. Honor delayed is often honor magnified. So let's pick up our story in Esther chapter 5. And again, we're going to go through this. We're going to read some of the verses word for word. Some of them we're just going to kind of paraphrase and move through. And we're going to see what lessons God would like to teach us today. So we pick it up in Esther chapter 5. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes. Let me stop right there. So this is what happened. Esther got fined for a man, okay? Now, just because we're married doesn't mean we need to stop looking good for our spouses. That's just a little aside. Let's get back to the story. Hope that helps somebody. So she put on her royal robes, and she stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house, while the king sat on the royal throne facing the entrance of the house. So it was when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. I got to get, no, I probably shouldn't get me one of those golden scepters. That's probably not a good idea. <laughs> right. <laughs> then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, because he loved her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half of the kingdom. He was going to give her half of everything that he owned, because that's how much he adored her. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet I have prepared for them. Let's go back to last week when we heard um, Pastor Miguel talking about Esther praying and fasted. So I want to build on that. She prayed, she fasted, and then she acted. We've got to get into the course of acting. Praying and fasting should always lead to positive actions to impact the kingdom of God. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, What is your petition? It shall be granted to you, again, up to half of the kingdom. Esther said, My petition is this. If I found favor in your sight, would you guys please come to a banquet that I have prepared for tomorrow? I contemplated that, and I said, Okay, God, why the second day of the banquet? God told me that Esther had patience. He had given her patience because, see, as we're going to find out, Haman is going to do something that is going to then impact his, what happens to him in the end. And had Esther presented her petition today, that little extra step wouldn't have been in there. See, God knew the end of the story, and he put patience in Esther. So she prayed, she fasted, she had patience, and she acted when God told her to act. 
So Haman goes out that day, the Bible says, joyful with, a glad, joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai, remember, Mordecai is the gatekeeper who wouldn't bow down to Haman. Haman wanted everybody to bow down to him. Mordecai wouldn't do it because he served the one true God. And the Bible says that he didn't stand or tremble before him. I kind of see it like this. Mordecai's at the gate. He's probably got a couple of his buddies around. You know, he's, he's the gatekeeper. And he's talking, and here comes Haman, and probably everybody else is bound down, and Mordecai just keeps talking. And that's just Haman, just gone. Hey, guy, how you doing? But he wouldn't bow down. And it says, nevertheless, Haman restrained himself, but he got mad and angry when he got home. The Bible says he sent and called for his friends, or in today's language, he got on Facebook and he said how mad he was about how his life was so bad because this one guy wouldn't bow down to him. He called his wife, and then he began to brag of the great riches that he had and everything that the king had promoted him and how he had been advanced among everyone else. See, as he bragged of his intent, Haman began to plot his own demise without him knowing it says moreover Haman said besides Queen Esther has invited no one but me to a banquet again not knowing that God behind the scenes was weaving everything for his honor and for his glory and Haman says I'm going to this banquet and his words are this in verse 13 yet all of this avails me nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate See, at this point, Haman had it made. He had the best job in the land, okay? Assuming he had a great marriage. He had all these friends, so-called, around him. He was hanging out with the king and the queen, but he refuses to be satisfied. See, instead of counting his blessings, he concentrates on the one thing that wasn't perfect in his life. The one thing that he thought he had to have to make him happy, and oddly enough, the one thing he had no control over. How often do we get caught up in wasting all of our time and all of our energy and even our resources chasing the one thing instead of using what God has already given us to maximize our current situation and further his kingdom? Philippians 4, 11 and 13, pieces of both of those verses say this, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, in other words, what Paul is saying here is, I'm good to go with what I have and where I am because Christ lives in me, and that's the most important thing in my life, not what I have, not what I want. I don't need to chase that one thing that I think is going to make me happy, especially those over which I have no control. How often do we get so caught up in things that we can't control and they just churn over in our mind and our spirit instead of just relaxing and being content in God and in our hope in Jesus Christ? The word says then his wife Zeresh and his friends said to him, hey guy, let's build this big gallows 50 cubits tall and you suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it and then go to the banquet. And the thing pleased Haman, so he had the gallows made. And again, 
Haman is listening to friends that have no dog in this fight at all. Be careful who you ask counsel from and who you take your counsel from. First, we take our counsel from God and the Word, and then we take counsel from godly brothers and sisters that have our best interest in heart. Stop listening to people who only tell you what you, what you want to hear. See, we all need someone in our life who loves us enough to tell us the truth and call us on our stuff. So I'm going to ask you this morning, and maybe you just put that right here in the comments. I'm going to ask you, who's your person? I'm going to put right down here, after Jesus, my number one person is my wife. Brenda Travis is my person. She doesn't let me get away with any nonsense or foolishness. Not at all. The next thing I would like to ask you with this and who you're taking counsel from is, are you in a life group? Now, I know life groups has been a little bit different, but you know what? Our September semester is coming up, and we are preparing here for the greatest semester of life groups the Father's House has ever had. And I'd like to invite you to a life group leader interest meeting. If you are just a little bit curious about what it's going to be like to lead a life group in the greatest semester of life groups on July 29th at 6 p.m., Facebook Live on the Father's House Facebook, sign in for a quick 20-minute information meeting that is just going to outline how we are going to do um, life groups this semester and how you can be a part of forming a life group to help speak life into your brothers and your sisters. Chapter 6 tells us this. That night the king could not sleep, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records. So basically he wanted his buddies to come in, his, people that serve him, and read him a story, a bedtime story. Sounds pretty okay to me. And so the story was written that was written was how Mordecai had foiled the plot of two of the king's eunuchs who were going to assassinate him. And um, they were going to kill him, and Mordecai had somehow figured this out, and he had told the king, and the king's life was saved. So the king said, well, hey, what honor or dignity has been bestowed? What do we do to Mordecai to thank him for this? The king's servant said, oh, we didn't do anything. So the king said, hey, who's in the court right now? And the Bible says, now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows he had prepared for him. Here's a thought, just a side note. Why was Haman in the outer court in the middle of the night instead of home taking care of his own house? The king's servant said, Haman's here standing in the court. The king said, bring him in. Haman came in. The king said, what shall be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? Now, Haman, in his pride, thought, who else would the king want to honor but me? I go to the banquet with the king and the queen. So Haman thought, and he said, I think for the man who the king delights to honor, let a royal robe which the king has worn and a horse on which the king has been written. Bring that to the man. Put the robe on him. Then let the robe and horse be delivered, one of the king's most noble princes, and then parade him on the horse through the city square and proclaim, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king wants to honor. See, Haman saw himself with that robe and that crown sitting on that horse. The king says to Haman, Take the robe and the horse, just as you have suggested, and do for Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave nothing undone that you have spoken. Wow, I tell you. See, <clears throat> excuse me. 
when you spend more time worrying or meddling in what other people are doing or lurking around other doors instead of being home taking care of your own house, things rarely work out the way you want them to. Haman took the robe and the horse. He had no choice. He put it on Mordecai. He led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Here we go, right here. Honor may be delayed or denied, but in God's province, he finds the servant and says, Well done, according to Hebrews 6 and 10. When no one else notices, God marks it down. He rewards the faithful and the consistent. So if you're sitting at home saying, I've been serving and things are going bad and, 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 and just nobody seems to notice, know that God notices. God is writing it down. <clears throat> God has you in the palm of his hand and he is going to reward you and give you the just things that you deserve because of how faithful you have been to him. So the next verse I've read this story, and, and some of you know I, I, that I, in the past I've told you this was my favorite Bible story as a kid. My dad would tell me this story. And I've read this a lot of times. This verse stood out to me like never before. Afterward, Mordecai went back to the king's gate. Simple little verse. So I asked God, why are you, why are you really, what are you saying to me here? This is what he said. He went back to his job. He didn't get proud, nor did he rest and say, I've been honored by the king. This gatekeeper job is now beneath me. He returned to continue to fulfill the purpose and the destiny to which God had called him to do. I said, thank you, God, for placing that inside of me. Because, again, I'd read that verse, and it just jumped out at me. He returned to do his job. But Haman, on the other hand, hurried to the house, pouting and mourning with his head covered. When he got home, he told his wife, got on Facebook, told all his friends about how woe is me, my life is terrible, and everything that had happened to me. And his wife kind of prophesied to him, and I don't think she really understood what she was saying. If Mordecai before whom you have begun to fall is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's eunuchs came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. Again, Haman was so caught up in his own stuff, he was so caught up in his own misery and, and, and feeling so sorry for himself that he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Now remember, yesterday he was ready for the banquet. Today he's home pouting. They've got to come get him and bring him to the banquet, already setting himself up for what's going to happen. So they get into the banquet, and the king again asks, Esther, my darling, what's your petition? What can I do? Esther says, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given at my petition and my people at my request. God gives her the boldness to speak and to ask for, the, for what she needs. God placed inside of her the words, and that's the way it is with you and I. When it's time to speak for God, be bold. Be assured that the Holy Spirit will speak through you. She said, for we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. 
The king got mad. This is his woman. This is his wife. He loves her. And he said, who is it that would presume to do such a thing? And Esther says, the adversary and enemy is this wicked Haman right here. Says, so Haman was terrified. The king got so mad that he stormed outside and went into the palace garden just to try to calm down a little bit. So Haman's in there. He's begging. He's pleading. He's backtracking. Oh, I know. No, you know, he's just fessing up. I didn't mean to do that and everything. And he falls across the couch where the queen is sitting. Really, really bad move there, Haman. Because when the king returned... From the palace to the banquet, Haman had fallen across the couch, and the king said, will he also assault the queen while I'm here? Didn't look good for Haman. As the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face, and they took him, and one of the eunuchs said, look, the gallows where he wanted to hang Mordecai's 50 cubits high, the king said, hang him on it, and that's what they did. The lesson here for us is this. When our life is out of order and we try to hide it, one bad decision leads to another and another until we are so totally wrapped up in our own sin and our own deceitfulness, it will eventually bring us down. See, sin is going to come out. We can't continue to hide what we're doing. Without repentance, it leads to death and eternity in hell which is why it is so important that we have that accountability, again, of a life group, of a friend who's going to hold us accountable, somebody we can go to and say, brother, I messed up. Sister, I need some prayer. I need some help. Because when we try to hide it and we continually repeat those same mistakes, sin always catches up with us. So they hanged Haman on the gallows, and then the Bible says the king's wrath subsided. Here's a great point to remember. Mordecai never tried to get even. See, when you're in the will of God and you're faithfully serving him, you don't have to worry about the actions of others hurting you or destroying what God has given you. Other people cannot steal what God has given you. He has given you all the gifts and talents for such a time as this. It may seem like life is bombarding you. Sickness, trouble in our world, friends against friends, neighbors against neighbors. We don't know what's going to happen next, but be assured that everything that God has given you, everything he has promised you, he is going to help you and see you through and take care of this and bring you out stronger on the other side as a testimony to him. Chapter 8 tells us this. On the day that King gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king. Esther brings him in and says, this is my relative. And so they appoint Mordecai over the house of Haman again. Mordecai didn't try to get even. He went back to his job, and when it was his time, he was promoted because he was faithful in serving where he was placed. Mordecai was elevated to a position consummate with the gifts and the talents that God had given him. Reminds me of the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 26 through 30. But the Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received at least some interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there is weeping 
and gnashing of teeth. What this tells us again is if you are faithful serving where God has placed you, if you're faithful in that job, even though maybe it's a job you don't want to get up and go to every day, God has given you this job at his time. He's going to move you to the place and the position that he has for you. Because, see, maybe he has placed you here for such a time as this. Maybe he has given you that circle of co-workers for you to speak life into, for you to be the light in the dark place. For a moment, I'd like to give you an example, and I'd like to honor, show some honor to my wife. Most of you know my wife loves to cook. She comes from a long line of cooks, okay? Everybody in her family can cook. They should have restaurants all over the United States. So anyway, she loves to cook, and for years she has cooked on a volunteer basis. For the last few years, she has been um, cooking for our local homeless ministry, Come As You Are Ministries, Pastor Joanne, who we support here from this church. She's been very faithful in doing that, as are others in this congregation. Okay, We have like three or four other people in this congregation that are cooking meals on a regular basis. So it's always been her dream to be able to use her gifts and talents professionally. So over the last six months, she has been able now to um, use this gift that God has given her to cook, and she's got this job, so part-time, but it's great. It's called Chefs for Seniors, where she goes into homes, and she is cooking meals. So as she was faithful in serving and volunteering, God has now raised her up to a place consummate with the gifts and talents he has given her, and it's just so awesome to see what God does. So uh, again, in verse 3, chapter 8, it says, Esther again spoke to the king and said, this is great. You save, you, you, you've saved me and you've saved Mordecai, but we still have this law out here that says in a year all of the Jews can be killed. Please save my people. Please write a new order. Change this if you love me. See, with Haman gone and all the good that was happening, Esther and Mordecai probably would have been all right. The king's not going to let anything happen to his wife. But Esther still had the resolve to complete the mission, to finish strong. There were still lives to save. She just didn't kick back in the palace. No matter where we find ourselves today, in a crisis or doing okay, as Christians, we have to remember there's still lives to save. There are still people out there that need to hear this good news of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. No matter what you're going through, if you have Jesus living in your heart, you have a neighbor who's going through the same thing but doesn't have Jesus, doesn't have that hope that you have. No matter what our situation is, we have got to, as we say here, lead people into a fully devoted relationship with Jesus Christ, right? We do that three ways. We love God, we help people, and we build the kingdom. That's what we do here at the Father's house. No matter what we're going through personally, corporately, when we come together or out in our circle of friends, it's our job to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15 tells us this. But even if you suffer for what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer... Always be ready to explain. Always be ready to explain. So now, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, right? Some of you remember that. 
kids right there, what, Paul Harvey, who's that? Anyway, so the king calls the scribes in, and he writes a new edict, a new law, and this goes out because, see, for whatever reason, the law and the land, the king couldn't reverse what he had done. Don't quite understand that he's the king, but that was the law of the land. So he wrote a new law saying that the Jews and all the providences all around could build, gather and build an army and protect themselves, and not only protect themselves, but plunder and destroy their enemy and take the spoils of that war. So what happened was the Jews came together for a feast that was later called Purim. But the Bible says this in, in verse 17, And in every province and city, when the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, and a feast and a holiday, Purim, then many of the people of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. So the king allowed them to build an army and support the army. You know, here at the Father's House, we support our men and women who are protecting this country. One of the ways we do that is through military Bible sticks. We have been collecting money. It's $25. Maybe you take out your phone right now and you would text STICK to 329 2301. It's great. It's a little MP3 player that has the Word of God for our men and women who are serving here in the United States and overseas. And also, a copy of the Word goes home to either their wife or their kids. It's a great cause. Please help us support that there. <clears throat> so to wrap up today, the king asks Esther, what is her petition? Redemption from the evil one is not our victory, no matter how long the process. I know that's what it feels like. God used the team of Mordecai and Esther to redeem God's people and to draw in new believers. That is our victory, to draw in new believers. In the final analysis, God's going to have his way. Remember when Mordecai told Esther, if you don't step up, God's going to send the answer through someone else? No human being, you and I, don't have anything for our own sake. We can't say, this is mine, it's only for my use. God's not impressed with us or what earthly kingdoms or personal towers we may build. What he's impressed with us today is a humble heart that comes to him on his terms. What we have is to be used for God and for others. Your honor may not be even be seen in this generation, but may be played out in the lives of your children and your grandchildren. I mean, let's think about it. What a greater legacy. What a greater honor. Would you rather have this instant gratification or would you rather have honor be bestowed on your children and your grandchildren to see them serving God, to see them fulfilling the purpose that God has called them to and then continuing to leave that legacy down the line? Life can be hard. Difficult times happen. Pain cannot be avoided. But when life doesn't make sense, do you turn to God or do you turn away from him? Jesus called us friends in John chapter 15, verse 15, and the Spirit, our helper, in John 14, 26. Trust and obey as Esther did, and watch God silently weave all events for his glory and for your and my good. So you might be thinking, you know, I don't even know if I know Jesus well enough for him to call me friend here to tell you that today you can. Today you can have the hope, as Esther and Mordecai did, that God would take care of them. Today you can stop the struggle to control everything. You can't control it anyway. And to surrender your heart and your life to Jesus.
right now, wherever you're sitting, I'd just like to lead you in a prayer. And if that's you, I just want you to pray this prayer with me today. It's real simple. Surrender your heart. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's going to come in and be our Lord and we'll serve him. Dear God, today I pray for my friends that are sitting out there. And Father, I ask that if any just need to turn their life to you, they would just say these real simple words. Jesus, I believe. I believe that you died on the cross. I want to surrender my life to you. And as best as I know how, I want to serve you. Jesus, please call me friend today. I want to be in your will, and I want to be where you have me to be to bring honor and glory to your kingdom. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we'd love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the kingdom.